0: Hi, I'm Debbie George-Addis. Welcome to my show, America, Can We Talk? It's so great to be back after our holiday break. Today on America, Can We Talk? We're going to talk about Kevin's concessions, or wins for America. Dr. Douglas Frank is joining me in studio today. Huge new data related to election integrity. And finally, winning America back. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. And hello again, and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiannis. Well, obviously, the debate in Washington, D.C., the effort of the new Republican Majority Congress to elect a speaker kind of overwhelmed the news over the weekend. And I want to share some really important points about that. Kevin McCarthy did in the 15th round win uh, the speaker's race. And I want to tell you, before I tell you all the great things that were concessions there, I want to say a couple points about how important it was that that debate happened, and then it happened publicly. Many people on the conservative side of the aisle were thinking that what happened, the kind of public, you know, continuing to hold a vote, the Democrats keep voting for their same guy, came Jeffries, and the Republicans could not get, and we have a very slim majority to start with on the, in the U.S. House, and couldn't get to a vote early on. People thought it looked unseemly. They thought it looked like we weren't very organized. And I respectfully and but strongly disagree. Kevin McCarthy is, you know, he's been in Washington a long time. He was the heir apparent under the kind of usual rules, the way things flow in Washington. But the concessions that the conservative group that hung together, for at, at one point there were 21 of them, then down to 20, and then down to five, the concessions they got out of that holdout, that refusal to vote for Kevin McCarthy without some concessions, are really transformative. And I'm gonna talk about them in one moment. But before I get to the depth, the just importance of the, of the concessions that they won, I wanna just point out why that kind of battle is so important. In America today, we literally have the left-hand side of the aisle, the Democrat Party, overtaken in every conceivable way by the ideas of Marxism and socialism. The left is no longer playing on the American playing field. At the end of the last little segment today, I'm going to be talking about winning America back, pointing out all the ways in which conservatives need to be fighting for and standing up for very traditional mainstream main street apple pie america ideas we need to be standing up to restore america but back to the u.s house it had become the assumption that people who get elected to washington who actually run for congress when the election show up in washington are supposed to immediately enter and salute to leadership Vote for who the leadership's leader tells them should vote for. Vote for what the party says to do. And don't stand out and don't think for yourself and don't ask questions and don't push issues. There's nothing healthy about that in a democratic republic. Nothing. It has become just a habit of Washington that we, assi- we assign the leadership kind of an entitlement sense of being in charge without having to really negotiate anything with respect to what they believe in. This is kind of like a king or a monarchy where the subjects are supposed to be just beholden to whatever the king wants. This was a really great thing to have a robust debate on the floor of the House about what issues must simply be addressed by the leadership, must be addressed by the House, must be remedied in the way the House functions. After we have an enormous omnibus bill passed, which passed very recently, you know, so many Americans are saying, this is terrible. These people go to Congress, they pass these massive bills and no one's ever read them. Well, the only reason that going forward, if Kevin McCarthy is held to the standards and the promises, the concessions he made, there will actually be no more of that kind of shenanigans. There will actually be appropriation bills, 12 appropriation bills, individual bills, Introduced seventy-two hours to review them, debated and then voted on. It's still really not enough time, but at least it's some time. Seventy two hours to read them before they get to the floor. That concession would never have happened if there hadn't been pushback by the conservatives from the House Freedom Caucus. It would never have happened. Everyone would wring their hands and whine and complain about the ongoing omnibus spending. But they would nothing would change because it's always what happens. The omnibus, I can't get down the details on that today, but the omnibus gives people in Congress tremendous opportunity to say they believe in certain things, but I had to vote for the omnibus. I mean, we gotta fund the military. So everything else they fund, every expenditure that normally they would say they didn't wanna vote for, they're excused for voting for. Having those kind of appropriation bills individually divided, one huge concession all by itself. But the larger point is, this is what America's government is supposed to be like. Generally speaking, we're supposed to have debate, and even what the debate was setting up was what the rules are going to be, the rules uh, are apparently gonna be voted on today uh, by the new Republican majority, that's a good thing. But you wanna give representatives who've, taking the initiative to run for Congress, you want them both to have the responsibility to represent their constituents and the opportunity to represent them. If you just go with, you sent to Washington, you're a member of the Republican party, you vote this way and nothing else matters and you don't get to think and you don't get to talk, then what's the point of having them there? You might also have a leader who just counts out votes and says, yep, this is what we're gonna do. It was a really, really good thing. Another point I wanted to make just to understand what all the dynamics were, and there are many dynamics I can't get to today, But there was an assumption because Kevin McCarthy had nearly enough votes among the Republican caucus when the voting started that anyone who was opposed to him was really being obstreperous, was really being, you know, not being a team player. He had, I think it was 212 votes very early on. And the assumption was the guy's practically good. He's probably a good leader. Why would all these Republicans want to stand with him? You know, if he's not a good guy, I would like to answer that question for you. When you're in Washington and you do step out of line, when you are in Washington and you're told you're supposed to vote for Kevin McCarthy as Speaker, you're supposed to vote this way on this issue, you're supposed to vote this way, especially on the Rules Committee, and you don't do that, you'll be swiftly punished. You will be denied the role you want as a subcommittee chairman, a a membership at all on the committees you care about. As asked Marjorie Taylor Greene, you step out of line, you may not have any committees at all. And so the notion that there were really 212 Republicans who just were thrilled to their core to have Kevin McCarthy be the speaker is simply an ignorant fallacy. They chose that as a safe way. I'm not saying some of them don't like him. Some of them might have thought he was the best choice they had. But he didn't have 212 Republicans lined up because he's the best guy in Washington. He had them because people know how the game is played. They know retaliation will come if they don't go along with whatever it is the majority is telling them to do. About the concessions that the the uh, I think among the most important concessions Republicans got out of this public spectacle, which I thought was a great thing, is called democracy in action. They got, for example, as I mentioned, one of the really important things they're going to have. 12 different appropriation bills voted on independently after review, meaning that you cannot any longer say, well, it was one big omnibus. I just had to vote for the whole thing. Uh, That's been taken away from them. Uh, There's also an agreement to cap discretionary spending, which would be a beautiful thing. I'm not saying all these things will happen. I'm going to hit you one last point in a minute about what these uh, concessions really mean. Um, They also agreed to form a committee, weaponization of the federal government. This is looking into the way the Biden regime literally militarizes, weaponizes the American government against the American people. It is a vital thing to do, a vital thing to do. This would not have happened because it's not in polite company in the club in Washington, the cabal. You know, we don't really want to put those things out there in public. But when these people say to Kevin McCarthy, you can't be speaker unless you commit. He's going to commit. So that's a huge, huge thing that's going to happen. Um, there's a motion to vacate, which is basically the idea you can raise a motion, say I want the uh, speaker removed. And um, that, I'm going to get to in a moment why that pretty much doesn't matter at all. Um, but I'll tell you why they've got 72 hours to review every bill. I have a bunch of other concessions are made, and I, I'm probably going over my first five already. Yes, I have. But uh, the uh, importance of these concessions was just the idea that before the session starts, The message has been sent to establishment Washington, to establishment Washington, that we're done with business as usual. We're going to be heard. The House Freedom Caucus is going to have more representation on the rules committee and other important committees. We're going to be heard. Two last points. I'll wrap up the first five. One is this. These concessions that are very important and very, they're really profound, are utterly unenforceable in law, meaning if Kevin McCarthy Dishonors all of them. If he ignores them starting right now, there is no legal mechanism to force him to comply with them. None at all. And so it's really a matter of honor, but it's also a matter of the backbone of those who push for these to push for them and get them. And once you get them, to force them to be honored, to stand up again. If Kevin McCarthy starts, sorry about the omnibus, folks, we're going to have to omnibus vote again. You have to have the people who push for these changes simply refuse to let Kevin McCarthy fudge on them. It's not just Kevin McCarthy personally. It's the whole uniparty cabal in Washington. But these changes that were pushed are wonderful changes. They're not far-right extreme changes. They are getting, they're righting the ship ever so slowly of the American government away from rule by the cabal, back to the rule by the American people. That's all they were. There's nothing extreme about them, but they're not enforceable in any other way except if the House members push and enforce them to be enforced. And back to my last point I mentioned a minute ago, but just to touch on it, why it matters so much. This idea that we now have great power because Kevin McCarthy has agreed to, you can have, it's called a motion to vacate. It's a motion by the Republicans saying, we don't like your leadership, Kevin McCarthy. You are, you're out, we want to vote you out. Well, yes, the rule now says one person can file a motion to vacate. used to be five people, but this is one of the utterly meaningless concessions. Number one, everybody understands you file that motion, you house member, whether you've been there a hundred years or one year, you have no, it has no consequence until the vote is put to the floor, put to the Republican caucus. Do you want to remove Kevin McCarthy? Let me tell you, he... He struggled to get over the finish line and get enough votes. There's not any chance on the planet Earth that the Republican caucus is going to remove him almost no matter what he does. So the motion to vacate is simply a little bit of an effort to embarrass the speaker if people are really upset with him. And maybe even get five people to get behind motion to vacate, but you're not going to get the caucus to remove him. So it really has no consequence at all. And, you know, if you're the one filing the motion to vacate, you're not going to be allowed, even on the dog catcher committee or any other committee in Washington, you're going to sit in the corner, you know, with facing the wall because you'll be punished. This is what happens and everyone in Washington knows it. Why this was so important This at this time in our country is that we're at a place where the left has driven America, as Sidney Powell said in the show a few weeks ago. We're not fighting against rising socialism. and tr- We are over the cliff to socialism. We are grabbing onto the tree branches, sticking out, the roots hanging out of the cliff, trying to pull ourselves back up. America's in deep trouble. If any time ever in American history was a time to fight, it is now. It is time for Republicans who sense the mood of the people, sense the strength of the, of the grassroots base in America, saying, we want actual representative government in Washington. We want the conservatives, we want the Republicans to listen to us. It was the message that Donald Trump brought when he ran in 2016, why he was so popular, why he won in 2016 and in 2020, and still why he is popular today. Whether he becomes our president again or not, he instilled the mood in the American people that you actually are entitled to representative government. What the people fight for Representative government in Washington is what the members of Congress are fighting for as against the speaker. They want to be actually heard and listened to and have an actual active involvement in the process of governing America. And that, my very fine friends, is today's First Five. Okay. Or first 14. Anyway, I want to thank, I always, first five is very challenging when I worked up about an issue, but we have a great, great guest joining us in studio today. He's joined us numerous times before. And I think if you listen to my show very often, you've probably heard of him. His name is Dr. Douglas Frank. I'm going to give the shortest introduction and he can tell you more about his background. But he has a degree. I'll just—he this is Dr. Douglas Prank, a PhD. He's from Ohio. He has a PhD in surface electroanalytical chemistry. And I introduced him at an event over the weekend. I made this joke. Oh, I thought about majoring in that. That didn't really though, because I can't even handle that. Anyway, but he has—he's a really widely renowned scholar. He has had over 60 peer-reviewed articles appear in in peer-reviewed scientific publications, international journals, brilliant, brilliant um, thinker and, and researcher. But he's turned his efforts since 2020 to looking at election data. And he is a, you know, it's not a partisan effort. It's not a political effort. It is simply an effort to look at America's election process, the numbers he can gather, the data he can gather, and analyze it and present it to others to help Americans understand that we really, in this country, do not have at this present time, we do not have fair elections. We have my word rigging. He doesn't. He can use whatever word he wants. Our elections are rigged, and he's going. We're going to talk with him today. Um, he's been doing presentations, as I say, all over the country. But I'm going to talk with him today about what his latest discoveries are. You know what he's figured out about this. And actually, I'm going to be. Um, make my introduction slightly longer by saying the two bits of data. I understand that he gathers one is he gets data from states around the country for long periods of years, 20 years or so. And he gathers data regarding election, uh, the voter rolls. How many people uh, enjoy the voter rolls? They want, they, they enroll as a voter. So he has voter roll data and he'll have it for a county, every county in a state on a graph over a period of years and so he's studies that data what what do the numbers look like in the voter rolls and the second kind of data is data related to voter turnout if you look at states voter turnout data and he pulls it all down legally publicly available information off of the internet into charts and graphs and he presents it to make these overwhelming compelling arguments that america's elections are rigged and with that lengthy introduction welcome to the show dr douglas frank hi there
1: (laughs) Good to be with you, and Debbie. I, I I love being with you. I learn so much every time I'm with you. Okay, you ought to, you ought to have a talk show.
0: I should. <laughs> I, I love. You know, if I can talk about America, I'm there all day long. I, all day long.
1: I liked learning about the debate that went on in the in the house. I appreciate that. I learned a lot from you.
0: Oh, you're so welcome. It was. It actually really was very refreshing. There were mm-hmm. people on our side say, "Oh, it's so unseemly mm-hmm. if we didn't have someone who could be Kevin McCarthy. We just should have yeah. shut up and gotten yeah. in line." No. I mean, because the concessions, I mean, I'll go over them probably some other time I show, yeah, but yeah. they were extraordinary.
1: Yeah. I True. think I'm, I'm delighted too because what's been happening around the country is uh, it's called the precinct strategy, where um, citizens are re engaging the political process at the precinct level, and accordingly, they're also taking over the state parties, the state, the GOP, for example. And so what's happening is. A lot of these new people going to Washington are actually the real choices of the people, not the establishment one. So I expect more and more of this to be happening. I'm very excited about it.
0: I'll tell you something else related to that. One of the concessions, huge concession, which again none of these concessions would ever have been made, right? If these House people didn't just, just sit back and say, yeah. We're not, "No, you can't be Speaker until." Yeah. One of the concessions was that this massive PAC, which is funded by and donated and run by Kevin McCarthy cannot make donations during republican primary races Mm. so because because he always goes for finds the most establishment which to translate into plain english means the most compliant the one find the person who will do whatever kevin mccarthy tells him to do that's what he wants to get behind and these these strong independent kind of candidates that you and i might be you know just just grassroots kind of candidates they're never gonna get money from Kevin McCarthy. So part of this bill was but this deal was no money, no money in primaries. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Okay. So you do all these presentations. I'll tell yeah. our listeners I, I've heard your presentation so many times and every time I listen to anything you say, I learn a lot more and I realize how much I didn't understand. That's the other thing that happens.
1: Well I've been doing this full time for two years. There's a lot to learn.
0: There is. There is. And so I, I gave a little bit of a summary of what yeah. you do in gathering data. Yes. Maybe we should start with these slides you sent. Sure. Okay, and and for our happy listeners, so uh, just a little earlier this afternoon, Dr. Frank sent um, slides, or there are little little movies uh, related to data that he's collected, and the reason I want to show you this is, it's one thing. If you hear people complaining about, oh, Democrats always cheat, or oh, there's always some voters from the cemetery vote, this is not what you what he has uncovered. Dr. Frank has uncovered he explains is not a few cheaters in the cemetery. It is systemic, to borrow the left's term they love to use. It is systemic. And you can see that for yourself when you look at this data. This is not data driving toward any candidate. It's data driving toward truth. So the first one you sent, I believe, relates to Wyoming. So do we have the Wyoming data here, Mr. Show the Wyoming data. Okay.
1: And what I'm showing you here is the number of people who are registered every month for about the last 14 years. And it's an interesting pattern. This first graph is for the three largest counties. You notice that before every election, the rolls inflate. And then they're deflated afterwards. And people say, well, that's just an unusual county. No, it's in every county in the state. It's centrally controlled. It's obviously not random. If it had been random, every county would behave differently. But no, they behave together. And the the oscillations are as big as 20 to 25%. In other words, before an election, you inflate the voter rolls by 20 to 25 percent. And then after the elections, you take 20 to 25 percent. And if it was just if it was just. Um,
0: Can you put it back up? Emilio, yeah. Thanks. It, if
1: it was no problem. If it was just if it was a random thing, they wouldn't be all in perfect sync in perfect tandem and it, what it proves beyond a shadow of a doubt anybody who looks at this you, you can't escape the conclusion that the rolls are being controlled centrally at the state level okay. so now they inflate the rolls by 20 to 25% before the election and then after the election they deflate them by 20 to 25% it's it's blatantly obvious
0: Okay, for our radio listeners, yeah. I just realized, first of all, radio listeners, you can later, uh, we've frozen the screen, so I'll describe it here, but for radio listeners, go back to our website later, americacanwetalk.org, and you can watch this show, and you will have separately posted our interview with Dr. Douglas Frank. You can look at the charts while he's speaking. What it basically shows is, on these charts, is a colored line for every different county, so you can see every the shape of every colored line, so from 2008 to 2000. Uh, 22, I think that says, uh, 2022, and they are just an absolute series of parallel lines. It's like if I drew a line yeah. and I asked numerous people, draw a line exactly parallel to that. And so, as Dr. Frank is saying, right before an election, whether it's a midterm or a presidential, the registration numbers go up, and then right after the election, the registration numbers drop, and then they flow along low, and they pop up again and down, up and down, but the point is, these lines of all these counties are flowing across this chart in perfect perfect. I sing a song, perfectly perfect in harmony. Yep, yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly. And and one of the things people think that the local county officials are the ones maintaining the roles. But no, if they were, then they would all behave differently. The fact that they've all behaved perfectly in sync with one another is how you know it's not a random So, that's one of the things I try to teach people is that the roles are being manipulated. And and people say, well, why would you want to add a bunch of people to the roles? Well, the reason is because if you're going to stuff ballots in the election, you're going to cheat, you're going to put in ballots for people who are not real, you need to put a bunch of non real people in there. Now, sometimes the people are real that they're putting in there, but they're people that have passed away or they're people who. Uh, used to live there 10 years ago, but moved away, but now they've moved back into town. I'm sorry, sorry. Let me say that again. They've moved away 10 years ago, but you put them back in the rolls even though they're gone, and then you put in a ballot for them. It's, so that's one of the ways to stuff ballots, That's called. You're, you're okay.
0: Ballots. And this point is, uh, that you're describing, you've used a term, and I when I first heard it, I didn't get it, but now I do. They're, they're phantom voters. They're voters yes. whose names are in the rolls. Yes. They have apparently within the voting jurisdiction a name and address. They appear to be registered. Yep. But they don't. They're either deceased or they don't live there anymore.
1: Yeah. Or sometimes they don't even exist. Like one of the things we found here in Texas and several places is there'll be like one two three Apple Tree Lane and one two four Apple Tree Lane and then one two five Apple Tree Lane and there'll be uh, somebody at each address. But when you go look in the neighborhood. One of the addresses isn't there. It doesn't exist. It's not a real address. So there are even unreal addresses in the rolls. And we, that's why we send people out knocking on doors. We, we go out. We send them into the neighborhoods looking for those. And we find them uh, We find them in abundance.
0: Yeah. I love that. I want to get your, your uh, knocking on doors uh, thing. Yeah, well, yeah. Emilio, uh, not to torture you. Put that back up one more time. Because <laughs> I want to just at the end of it. Yeah, this very last slide. Yes. The percentages you showed, if you can make that run, you have the red line. But can you uh, advance it to where you show it? Those there we things? go. Yeah. Okay. So what you're saying here is the drop in registration following a major election. So yes. you, you, so the drop in registration, or n- names pulled back out of the, of the voter rolls, is 20% of the entire content of the voter rolls, or 25%. Is yeah. That? Okay. That that I mean, to be other reason, this is beside that. This is couldn't be random, or organic, it has to be manipulated because they're all par- uh, perfectly parallel. But why would anyone pull their name out unless they, I mean, why would you register them and then pull your name out right away?
1: Right, and, and someone would say, well, that's normal, Dr. Frank. People move in, so we add them to the rolls, and people move out, so we take them out. Not 25% in two years, okay? Right. You don't have that much fluctuation in your population. In fact, that's why I show the population graphs, because I show that the population isn't changing like that, Why are your roles changing like that?
0: Okay, so this is a map of Wyoming. How many other places have you done this kind of data?
1: I've done 45 states. Not all of the states are public with their data to this degree. Um, I just did Wyoming uh, last week, which is why, or two weeks ago, which is, and I'm going to be there. That's why I, you know, went back and searched. So I would say maybe I have a dozen states with month-to-month resolution like that. But most of the states I only have election-to-election resolution. But Even in that case, you can see the same kind of variation, the same kind of manipulation. My point to people, they need to understand that the roles are being used to manipulate the election. And and the way they're being used is they inflate the roles. And I always like to tell people, the simple way to understand it is if your population's going up at a certain rate, your registration rates are going up faster than that. In fact, eight of our states have more people in their roles than they have voting age people. Okay, so in other words, the rate of increase of registered voters is way faster than the populations to the point where you can't even argue about it. A lot of times people say, well, of course, Dr. Frank, before every election, people want to people vote, so they register. It's normal to have a surge. Yeah, but you don't have immediately have a 25% removal again, and it's not normal to have more people in your rolls than you have people. So that's, that's, that's kind of where that goes, and that's why I show that because that's like the first big step in the way our, our elections are being manipulated is the manipulation of the rules
0: okay and now we talked about this several times when i've either introduced yeah. you or yes. interviewed or something but people looking at this data when you it when you finally sinks in what the data is saying yes, yes. they want to find some innocent explanation yes. like this is just poor record keeping
1: oh and there's a lot of that
0: but i mean <laughs> I'm getting at this, what you're describing could not be occurring naturally. What you're observing couldn't be occurring naturally.
1: Right, right. It proves that it's centrally controlled, and it's a computer algorithm because if it, there's not a single person sitting on a computer saying, well, let's add John Smith, and now let's remove John Smith. That, that's not happening It's because it's too perfect, too in sync. It's obviously mathematically controlled.
0: In state after state.
1: State after state. Every state, I've, I've done about 2,800 counties out of our 3,100-something counties, and I've done over about 45 states now.
0: Okay, and you do it over a period of 20 years, so it's not just yeah. a recent phenomenon. It's
1: Right, yeah, so it's- and, and that, that's one of the questions. When I first discovered it was happening like crazy in the 2020 election, I started looking back in history, state after state, and I was shocked to discover that this actually started in the late 90s where the rolls were basically being spiked, they were putting in a bunch of extra people in the roles who are not real people. Well, I shouldn't say they're not real people. They moved away. They're dead. But they aren't real voters. How about if I put it that way? And then over the years, they phase them in. So like in Texas, I've, I've heard stories about how you guys have been told that you're turning purple. No, you're not turning purple. Your roles were filled with people who aren't real voters. And then gradually, they're being voted. And it makes it feel and look like you are. I mean, if they did it over – if you're – if you're uh, suddenly changed 25% in one of your elections, you'd all go, what? We don't believe that. But if it's a few percent a year over 20 years, you say, oh, gee, it's the frog in the pot. We'll accept the results.
0: Yeah, yeah, so the chain, the, the um, abuse of the voter rolls, you adding yes. voters who don't exist and yeah. somehow casting votes on every behalf. we'll get yes. you in a second. Yes. But that is all occurring yeah. within a realm of seeming plausibility. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. exactly. Okay. Quickly mention for our radio listeners, you are about to go off on a break at 30 minutes past the hour. We're going to be right here talking, and we hope you come right back after a three-minute break to America Can We Talk? If you don't come back and you have time today, please go to our website, americacanwetalk.org. You can watch this entire interview and listen to it again and see the charts right at our website, americacanwetalk.org, so don't go away. So so how do people, when this as this is occurring, these voters being added to rolls— in what way? I mean, it has to be electronically right. that those votes are being cast, correct? Yeah. So what does that really mean? Someone's hacking in to the, to the election yes. software.
1: Yes, exactly. And that's, that's why I, I oppose use of electronic poll books and oppose electronic registration rolls. Because, for example, um, in Los Angeles, Judicial Watch sued them for having too many people in their rolls. And they won the lawsuit. It's hard to lose when it's obvious that you have more people in the roles than you have people that are voting age. So they won. Los Angeles was required to remove 1.3 million people from their roles. That was the legal order. Within three months, they were all added back again. And so, oh my so, gracious. So the problem, and that's right before the election. So in other words, the fact that it's an electronic rolls allows the state to insert voters, allows anybody who has access to the rolls to insert voters, and there are all these points of access. You know, if there was a registrar, an office, where a person had to come in with their photo ID and say, hey, I'm new to the neighborhood, here's a power bill or here's my ID, I'm real, I live here, sign me up to vote. There's no way this could happen. The only way this could happen is they've got it all online, they've got it's centrally controlled from the state. There's just multiple points of access. There's it's no way to control it.
0: Okay, so they hack it. They, I mean, I use the word hack because yep, that's yep. a simple word to understand, but yep. the way people who are in roles who are not really alive, registered voters, yes, current, yes. active Legitimate voters because yeah. someone's hacking in yeah. and voting their vote for them or or and or how does it the all the uh, mail-in ballots play into that? Explain that? Well,
1: here's an example. So uh, in Fresno, California, we, we met with the commissioners there and we showed them several dead voters and give you an example. So in other words, they say, well, our elections are clean. And we say, well, what about this person who's dead and you're receiving ballots from them? Obviously, that person didn't come to the polls, did they? (laughs) Because they're dead, okay? So what happens is you look in the death records and you see the person died in 2006. Then for 10 years, there's no record of him voting. Then suddenly, he starts voting in every election. Okay, now what's really happened is they died. For 10 years, there's nothing happening, and then suddenly they're voting again.
0: Their name stayed in the voter rolls.
1: Well, their name may have been removed from the Uh, voter rolls, but now it's put back in and they're voting again. But think about it. You're putting back in somebody he has an address he has a registration date he has a birth date. he has a voting record he has everything that you would expect to see and so it doesn't stand out and unless you knew that there was a death certificate for that person you would say oh that's a normal thing I, there's yep. nothing wrong with that so that's why we do the homework i teach the people that i work with how to go find those people and we knock on the door to make sure john smith really is dead And we did multiple of those. Another, that's one group, dead people. Another one is, let's say you you live in Texas. What if you move to Colorado? Okay. Nobody does this that I know of. You don't call your local clerk and say, hey, I'm moving. Take me off the voter rolls. Right? You you go to Colorado, you sign up to vote there. Well, now nobody's voting in your name in Texas for a while. But in 10 years, and, and if they never took you out, because you never told them, if they never take you out, then suddenly you start, Suddenly, Debbie Georgiades starts voting in Texas again, but Debbie Georgiades has lived in Colorado for 10 years and been voting over there. That's another major category. In fact, there are more of those than there are of the dead voters. uh, They become inactive, and so then somebody... Knows that you're not voting because they can see the voter history, and they just start printing ballots for you and stuffing them in, and that's almost always by mail.
0: Okay, and that's the mail-in ballot. That's problem. why I was answering that question. Yeah, yes. oh, that's okay. Yeah, you were answering exactly. Okay, this is happening in Wyoming, and you mentioned other states. I want to yeah. turn to because much of our audience is here in the great state of Texas. Yes. So we have the next slides. You would, Amelia. We have the Texas slides. Yeah. Um, And we can talk through those.
1: Sure. Now, you notice, like in this slide, I'm showing you the voting age people since 1970. You can see it just kind of climbs steadily up, you know, just kind of like you would expect. And then I also show every election how many people are registered to vote. And as I pointed out, in so many states, look at 1996. There's a sudden huge surge in your state in the number of people in your roles. Your population didn't suddenly hugely surge. Your population was just steadily going up, but there's this huge surge. And there's another huge surge in your state starting in 2014, your roles are growing faster than your population. Okay, if it was tracking your population, you'd think, okay, that's normal. People are moving in and out and the roles match that, but it's not the case. The other thing is I show you the voting, how many people turn out to vote each time. And these are right off your secretary of state website. So anybody can verify this. This is, this is just straightforward. I'm just teaching people to see their own data. And what you notice is that the turnouts have suddenly surged far higher than what you've seen historically. In fact, your midterm in 2018 is higher than all your previous federal elections. So you suddenly have this big surge. People say, Dr. Frank, why are you focusing on focusing on 2020 so much? Well, 2018, look at, I could focus on 2018. There's something huge. And what I typically hear, people will say, oh, but Dr. Frank, 2018 was a special year. We had a special race that year, a particular interest. So that's why the turnout was so big. You know what? I hear that in every state. You know why? It surged in every state exactly that same amount. No, you didn't have a particular election of particular interest in every state where everybody increased their voting by the same amount. I don't believe that. That's the election being manipulated nationally.
0: Okay, leave that slide up if you want to That's the end of it, right? Okay, leave this up for a second so we can talk about it. So I want to make some points, especially for a radio listener, but for everybody. The points you're making, registration rolls are growing faster than the rate of population growth. Yes. Here in Texas by 20%. Yes. Okay, that's happening in other states as well. That Every the-
1: state in the country, the rolls are growing faster than the population. And in eight states, they've been growing so fast, there are more people in the rolls than they have population.
0: So this is a evidence of a, a surge in people being added to the voter rolls.
1: And not cleaned out.
0: And not cleaned y- out. Okay. Yes. And then what you've been talking about, um, turnouts having increased suddenly. And especially for radio listeners, it's, uh, I'll just tell you that what this is showing, just a percentage example they have, for example. They're showing that the, the uh, turnout, meaning uh, not registered voters, but people who actually came out and voted, the yes. turnout. Is at the end of twenty, I can't quite read that. Twenty twenty, um, it is twenty six percent higher, twenty six percent higher than it was in twenty eighteen. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah.
1: Okay. Twenty
0: six percent higher in two years.
1: Yes, I mean that's a sudden surge, and and then yeah. and you notice that the the, uh, the midterm went up seventy seven percent, almost double. In other words, your midterm had t- almost twice as many people voting in it as usual. And it's not just Texas, it's everywhere. But since I was in Texas and talking to several counties here, that's why I use the Texas graph.
0: Okay, another thing we didn't make a graph for today, but to quickly make this point we made before, because I I tell you what I really care about is, I, I always say, whatever the political issue is, I'll, I'll take the battle if we're going to have if you know the majority of Americans want to be communists and they're voting for communists <laughs> in the government. Okay, I'll take that battle and I will argue for freedom and America's founding ideas, the Declaration, of the Constitution, and rights sure. of God. All I'll argue that. Sure. But what's happening is, we think the country is turning left, and so right. we modify our positions. Conservatives yes. modify our positions. Well, maybe we shouldn't be so strong on this issue. Maybe we should back off. Mm-hmm. And and the fact is. If if the votes are being manipulated, if the elections are, the country isn't changing. Just the election results are making us think it is.
1: Right. That's why they're, and the media reinforces it. Oh, Texas is turning purple. And it must be all those Californians that are moving in. And really what it is, is the Californians that are coming here are escaping the communism that's already there in California. So it's actually the conservative people coming here trying to get away. So I don't think you're becoming purple and, and blue. I think you're red. And there are a lot of states that are super red, and the people are super red, but yet the voting is going purple, and, and, and it's not real votes. And we and what we do is we go knock on the doors, and we prove that it's not real votes, it, that it's being manipulated. Okay.
0: Well, let's talk about that. Before we get to the last set of, of slides, let's sure. talk about that. So in your efforts to uh, expose election integrity, you expose a pure, hold, cold, hard Data is yeah. showing election fraud yes. somehow occurring. And you've tried speaking with legislators. You work with many legislators around the country. Yeah. Dozens. Many, yeah. Hundreds many.
1: of legislators, dozens of AGs and secretaries of states.
0: And you've talked to them, laid it out. Yep. And to varying degrees, they say, yeah, we got a problem. Yeah. But they don't take action. Right. And I think in part they don't take action. I can tell you how people, even conservatives I know, react and say, well, there's always some fraud. But it's not a big problem. Right. I mean, it's not like ele- It's not outcome changing. So you've turned to a way to try to convince the people with authority, yes. the county commissioners in, te- in, in Texas, the com- yes. county commissioners, to have evidence right before them they cannot refute that shows, no, actually we do have a big problem to get them to move to change. So first of all, the yeah. change you want is to get rid of all machines, correct?
1: Yeah, and disconnect, Disconnect. they need to be run independently. You know, if, if all I did was get each county to run their own election, that would be a huge step forward. Because if you're running your own election, think about it, if I'm maliciously trying to manipulate elections, If I only have to hack into one place in every state, then I only have to hack into 50 places. But if I'm trying to control 3,142 counties, that's a lot of hacking. So in other words, just having counties policing and controlling their own individual, that would be a huge step forward. Counties
0: controlling, getting rid of machines of all kinds, Yes, all electronics.
1: Get rid of electronics, yes.
0: And the evidence you are encouraging people to gather that will prompt county yes. commissioner courts yes. to listen and change the process and get rid of machines yes. is this canvassing effort. And I know you alluded to it. A quick tell again what that so is. So you
1: knock on the door and you say, "Hi, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. I'm Doug Frank from the." Election Integrity Committee, can we ask you some questions? Sure. How many people live here? How long have you lived here? Are you registered to vote? Did you vote in 2020? Did you vote in 2022? Simple questions, nothing aggressive. We're not voter suppressing. We're not harassing anybody. What usually happens is when you ask those questions, they say, gee, Dr. Frank, why are you asking all these questions? Yeah. And so you turn it around and you show them the official rolls, And the official rolls say six people live here and five of them voted. And then Mr. and Mrs. Smith, who are the only people who live there, they say, well, wait a minute, who are those other four people? And who are those other people that are voting from our house? And so what happens when you do that door-to-door stuff is the people you knock on the door, they become believers in voter fraud because they see it's right in their own house. They're angry about it, and they tell everybody in their neighborhood. So it's evangelism. You've evangelized the neighborhood. That's the first thing. The second thing is the person who actually (laughs) found it. Like if, and I've seen this, in hundreds of cases around the country. As soon as a, a citizen finds the fraud, they're all, they're all worked up. I always like to say, it's like they got saved. They have to tell everybody they're so excited. I found 17 phantom voters this weekend. It's like they can hardly contain themselves. So it also changes the people doing the work. And then the third benefit of the door-to-door knocking is that people then have the ammunition they need they they they're not just a, a conspiratorial wing nut they actually have actual fraud that actually happened in their hands that's the that's what all the door-to-door stuff is now, but the second point you made is super important let's say you find a hundred of those and you go to your sheriff and you say hey sheriff look at i found a hundred of these or you go to your district attorney i have a hundred of these he says Go away, it's only 100, that's not enough to change your election. No, 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 you don't understand. That's just a few of us volunteers on a weekend and we turn that up like that, okay? And the fact is, the same pattern is in all of our counties. And by the way, if we go out again next weekend, we're gonna have another 100. And if we go out next week, we're gonna have another 100. This is a big problem, this is a systemic problem. So that's why I I, I focus on the systemic aspect of it. And, uh, and, And like when I was in Wisconsin, A lot of the small counties that only have like 5,000 people in them, they're like, why are you bothering with us, Dr. Frank? The big frauds in the big city. That's right. All of your votes got canceled by the fraud in that single county. So why would you want to continue to participate in a system that is stealing you and robbing you of your constitutional right to a vote? You are being disenfranchised from your constitutionally guaranteed opportunity to express your vote Uh, in the county in the state nationally by the fraud taking place in just that one county so that's why i'm encouraging every county it's not merely for the integrity of their own local election but also when they stand up against the state it brings attention to the statewide problem
0: i love all that i will say also i think in many um cases in county commissioners which in texas and really around the country they have the central authority they do states have tended to try to run elections and states will mm-hmm. you know say well here are the rules or here's some mm-hmm. machinery we can provide you if you just hear some money but you yeah. got to do it our way but counties can assert themselves as the primary yes. jurisdiction in uh, doing the election and turn to paper ballots and just say we're just yep. not doing the machines yep. and that can um, be done
1: by county,
0: yeah. Yeah, done by county. And then you mentioned the sheriffs, just very briefly to say the reason they're uniquely important is because they have a unique constitutional role. They can act even if the county commissioner's court dismisses your evidence of election yes. fraud, doesn't believe it, whatever exactly. the reason is, the, the sheriff can act. So you're really just you're engaging citizens to engage people who may have, especially constitutional sheriffs, the yeah. ones who may take action. Yeah,
1: and that's the way it's supposed to be all along anyway. Um, we, the people, are supposed to, we, the sovereigns, as you like to say, I love that, we, the sovereigns, are supposed to be the ones doing our own elections. We're supposed to be running our own governments. And what's happened is for too many years, we've been paying other people to run our elections and paying other people to run our government, and now we've made our own bad, this that's why we're in this mess. So that's what I'm, I'm also reminding people, hey, step up and do your own elections count your own ballots don't pay some company millions of dollars when you can pay 50 bucks at the hardware store and buy a few paper clips and do it yourself
0: okay let's go to that (laughs) i'm going to skip the last um slides that sent you emilio about we have by the way we're we're, we're talking about happens in texas Um, we have slides for colin dallas and tarrant county but what we're describing this uh, statistically provable basis of showing that election fraud is alive and well in the great state of Texas. But I want to skip that because part of the pushback people get is we have to have the machines because we cannot possibly count ballots by hand. We tried to get a video to Emilio, uh, but it was too big. We couldn't get it to him. Yeah. But I want to just set, or you can set the scene, sure. how you got these people to, to demonstrate how easy it is to have hand counting. Even a ballot with multiple questions like president, vice president, yes. state rep, dog catcher, proposition yes. A, proposition B. Describe that if you would.
1: Sure. So the first thing I always like to tell people when they say you can't possibly count ballots is like to say, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We used to do this. All of us used to do this nationwide 30 years ago. We absolutely can do an election in a single day. Count the ballots by hand. Tally up the votes by hand and report it that night. We can. All of europe does it too but because people are objecting like crazy we put together a, a study and we got a group of volunteers and we did a whole precinct and we did a whole precinct and it's a really neat setup what they did i i think it's very clever they basically have a clothesline going across the room and they have tables underneath it and then the ballots are hanging from the clothesline and they move along and each place they stop the person on each side of the table, each person is responsible for three of the races. In our example, it was a 12-person race. There were 12 different issues on the ballot. So, you know, if I were doing this job, I, it's like they have a, like, they were using, literally, they were using a baseball pitching sheet uh, to oh, tally. Okay. Because, because, I mean, if you think about it, you don't have to reinvent that wheel. People who are used to tallying things, <laughs> right? So the ballot would stop. I would mark my three races, and then it would move on to the next, and I would mark my th- same three. And they just do that, and they would pass 100 ballots. And then at the end of the hundred ballots, we'd all say, okay, what'd you get for this? What'd you get for this? And if everybody at the, all the tables agreed, mm-hmm. by the way, there are three different people counting every race and you kind of randomize it. So it's a triple check. And if everybody agrees, you take all the tally sheets, you take the 100 ballots you just counted, you put it, put a rubber band around it, put it in the box. Next 100, please. And you just keep going. If you disagree, okay, run those 100 again. Gotta run
0: those 100 again. Because that was my biggest concern about paper ballot counting was, yeah. you know, because so many sometimes it's a lengthy ballot, yeah. propositions and yeah. whatever they are, just endless races of, you know, yes. big national ones and important local ones. So this process, I mean, it was the coolest video. We'll still try to get that ready sure, for the listeners. Sure. But the concept you. is we can... Do We yes. can do hand counting. Europe does it.
1: All in one day.
0: All in one day. And we just have to have the will to get people yes. to do it. Yes, we've yeah. been
1: conditioned into thinking we can't do it. And I should tell this story. This is such a good story. I was in northern Colorado, north northeast Colorado. And the, the county clerk there, they have 1,500 voters in their county. And I showed her the fraud in her county. I'm telling you, literally, she was in tears, okay? And she says, Dr. Frank, she says, I've been doing this 30 years. 30 years ago, we had... 1500 voters today we have 1500 voters she says it used to take me three days to set it up everybody'd show up and one day we'd vote we'd tally it up that night i would report the tally the next day or two i cleaned up my provisional ballots and my record keeping and it was done she says nowadays we spend millions of dollars for machines it takes weeks and weeks to set up i don't understand half of the technology i'm constantly calling the vendor the state's micromanaging all this aspect of it everything's in the dark everything's a black box Um, All these ballots are coming in by mail. I'm not even sure the ballots are from who they say they're from. I I do all my weeks worth, about two to three weeks worth of bookkeeping afterwards. And she says, everybody in my community hates me now. Nobody trusts me anymore. She says, it used to be. I was part of the team and it was a community thing we did it together she says now nobody trusts me so we've co- somehow convinced ourselves over a couple of decades that we cannot do this ourselves when absolutely we can do it ourselves and it's a lot cheaper so um, b- people say oh it's not cheaper yes it is way cheaper we did the study it was 47 dollars worth of hardware that we bought to do that job instead of millions of dollars and ongoing service contracts where you have to pay for everything and nobody trusts the machines i think the most important thing about getting the machines isn't even the fact that they're hackable that they're manipulatable i think the most important thing about the machines is that people don't trust them rasmussen did a poll recently it's 83 percent of our population doesn't trust the machines so 83 percent of our population doesn't trust the election you want to know why our turnouts are going why people don't trust the elections we knock on doors all the time. People say, oh, Dr. Frank, I don't do black vote anymore. It's all rigged. It's all messed up. Why should, I, why should I vote? Well, they don't trust it. So if you want to increase people's turnout, you want to increase their trust in the elections, just get rid of the machines for that reason. I mean, you save the money, increase the trust, Increased transparency. What's wrong with that? It's a complete audit trail. You've got everything on paper. If somebody questions how you read that ballot, pull it out again and have an argument. Okay, but the point is, you can't do that if it's electronic. There's, it's like all in cyberspace in a black box. So that's. I think there's so many good reasons to get rid of to get rid of the machines.
0: I'll an idea um, too. I, I couldn't agree more. And you know. Uh, many legislatures, after all of the um, outburst after 2020, many people didn't really yeah. think that the 2020 election was— mm-hmm. uh, that, that didn't really think Biden won. They questioned many things in 2020 right. elections. Um, and people were frustrated about that, and they, they just were really worked up about it, couldn't figure out what, what to do about it. And so the kind of thing you're describing is is taking the frustration— and sense of unfairness and proposing a solution it's not just saying well we're just going to have to be and I am very tired of politicians who are saying you know, well, um, we we can't dwell on the past. We sound like we're sour grapes. We sound like we're just yeah. sore losers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sound like we're out of touch. And the media has had a huge role, and the left had a huge role Agreed. in mocking the idea of there right. being a serious election integrity problem. You know, the election denier uh, was like a like a doomsday <laughs> yeah. uh, level kind of adjective. They attached it to you as a candidate. Oh, election denier, so and so, and so you're kind of being bullied into silence.
1: But think about this for a minute. In 2016, who were the election deniers?
0: Okay, Hillary for Clinton.
1: For four years, we heard <laughs> screaming and screaming bloody murder. Our elections aren't safe. For, and now now it's the Republicans screaming for four years. What are we gonna do? Just keep oscillation back and forth? Both parties, this is not a partisan issue. Both sides agree our elections are in bad shape. So let's make positive progress. I'm not saying, I, I mean, I don't think 2020 was real either. But I'm, uh, what I'm really saying is we have to get rid of the machines because, regardless, people don't trust our elections yeah. anymore. Neither side trusts our elections.
0: Yeah, well, neither side trusts them. I will say there's been more amenability uh, on, in red state uh, legislatures to make changes to election laws. Yeah. They don't make the change they need to make. They won't right. get rid of the machines, right. but they make some. You know, They tighten up voter ID requirements or limit the early right. voting periods. They try to do things like that. But after one presentation, and I didn't get the person's permission to say their name, so I'll just tell the story. But after one presentation you made, uh, this one, uh, consider a very wise uh, and experienced politician, said, you know what we need? We need a red counties of America... Red counties go paper. And we need a movement just saying red counties in this country are all going to stand up. We're going to demand paper ballots. We're not going to do machines. We're not going to care what the state says and the state government saying you have to use them or the federal government. We're going to do our own elections of paper ballots. And if the red counties united, it would be monumental and while i know it is a both sides of the issue and there are bad actors on both sides yes. it's always the left that opposes things like voter id like yeah. limiting early voting like requiring proof of citizenship all of the ways that are just their common sense reforms are normally the, the left just goes wild about them and and, and criticize them and, and calls them racist so i love the idea and if i could clone myself as i told yeah. you earlier one of the clones of me would run that. I would do that. I would just take that on, yes. say, we're going to have red, red red counties of America are going paper ballots yes. forever. And yeah. paper
1: poll books, too.
0: And, uh, paper everything. Because
1: otherwise they can manipulate the rules. Right,
0: they, they manipulate the rules. Exactly. Right, so just paper stuff. So we, we need someone to do that. Well, Dr. Frank, I, I every time I hear you speak, you were kind earlier in commenting. You learned things from me. I learned, I learned from a lot you. from you. I learn a lot from you. When I listen to you, I'm often taking notes over here surreptitiously. <laughs> but I do. And every time you speak, I, I understand it a little better. And I really want to commend you because you could be uh, home with your family. You could be working in the thank school you. you founded in Ohio, teaching young people, high-level mathematics, um, or other things you want to be doing, inventing things. But instead, you really committed yourself to exposing, mm-hmm. which is just irrefutable proof of election rigging around this country. And so I just thank you for your service. It's an
1: honor to serve my country serve my fellow citizen
0: you are serving your country yeah. okay well we only have three minutes left before the end of the show so i'm just going to do a, a dip my toe in this uh topic and i'll come come back to it tomorrow but I was talking earlier in the first five about the importance of what the people in Congress did. Led by, in fact, I will say my new congressman Keith Self was one of the three in Texas who stood up, joined Chip Roy, who is one of the leaders, along with other um, people in uh, Washington, who got to Washington. And this is for Keith Self; it was his first big battle his first big public and he's been a an elected official at of the county level prior to that but he's in Washington and he stood with the people who said we have to demand reforms and i and what i want to what i want to harp back on it was because what here what Dr. Frank is doing for example this is someone who has figured out an issue and it has Just you can't calculate, just incalculable consequence to whether or not we have free and fair elections in America. So he goes around the country, talks to grassroots groups, talks to legislators, election officials, governors, uh, people at the federal level, anyone who who is willing to listen to explain his proof. And once he has laid out the data he has, there is no other conclusion you can come to that we have a manipulated rigged election system and that it's it's not good enough for America. But part of the, what I want to mention in closing out, there have been some great pieces recently talking about, you know, this the um, window is very short, or the you know time is very short in America. We have to really right the ship of America to bring America back over the cliff as it's heading down the cliff to the valley of evil, you know, of, of communism and socialism. We have a short time period, and there are many people fighting in different ways. I think there are members of Congress who would not. Would not go along with the choice for Lear, I would go along with Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House. They got enormous concessions that will actually be game changers. And these concessions. These have been issues that have been identified by republicans and democrats some and identified as big problems identify things that must be fixed and you and i both know sitting here they would never ever 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 be changed if we continued with with business as usual and just went back to washington elected the heir apparent kevin mccarthy the only time they had at this point to strike was prior to the selection of the speaker to say we're going to demand some changes. I want to tell you among some of the other really, really important changes there's going to be a church-style committee. That was that uh, committee put together in the 70s, I think it was uh, by a Democrat even. Senator Church went after uh, looking at the conduct of the um, federal uh, law enforcement agencies and uncovered massive, massive wrongdoing and fraud. Give me a church-style committee investigating the conduct of the national security, the federal agencies who've run roughshod over America's freedom. Huge victory for just patriots, for freedom lovers. They've committed to do that. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, voting separately in appropriations bills, 72 hours to... Oh, more House Freedom Caucus members are going to serve, especially on the Rules Committee. This, and, and, you know, I'm going to finish a few more of those and, and make my point. Uh, the House committed to balancing the budget within 10 years and making cuts to woke and weaponized government. Um, the um, leadership role in zeroing in on primary candidates, you know, when a member of the Congress retires or um, passes away and the seat is open... And so numerous people put their name in the hat. The leadership, the establishment in Washington will use massive federal funds they've raised, not federal tax dollars, but PAC dollars, to back the candidate and refer Republican seats who will just be a submissive puppy to whoever happens to be the Speaker of the House versus getting behind someone who will be a Chip Roy, a Keith Self, a leader. This is another huge concession that would never have come about except for the tenacity of Chip Roy and others what I was gonna get to, but we're out of time for today, but there were a couple of great pieces by Victor Davis Hanson, one of the nation's truly brilliant scholars, uh, wrote two great pieces that are up on our website today, AmericaCanWeTalk.org. One is called The Coup, like C-O-U-P, Coup, The Coup We Never Knew, describing all the things that have happened to America, and none of us ever agreed to this, and they're really good points, so I'll get to them tomorrow. The other one was very similar. He wrote 10 Steps to Save America, and i want to just say in closing out today's show there is a spirit rising up in this country of people who simply are saying they are not going to sit quietly not to go quietly into that good night without a fight for america and that's really where we are on so many levels fighting for election fraud fighting for the leadership in washington allowing elected members to actually get issues that matter to the floor of the house and for you, the listener, there are so many issues you can be involved in fighting at your school board level to get rid of critical race theory and uh, gender manipulation and, and mutilation of minor children, which should be outlawed in all 50 states. There are so many ways you can be involved. And that's what America really is, is experiment in human liberty. It is in part an experiment and a commitment that the people of this country will hold to the ideas of America's founding. So, at the close of every show, I tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So, we started our show talking about Kevin's concessions were wins for America. 15 ballots to elect Speaker McCarthy in exchange for concessions was not a failure or an embarrassment or otherwise deserving of criticism or mockery. It did not harm the GOP brand. Concessions agreed to by Kevin McCarthy should never have been necessary to win. Single subject appropriation bills, that should have been the norm. This is returning us to normalcy. 72 hours to review proposed legislation before voting. These bills are thousands of pages long. 72 hours isn't even long enough. No more Pelosi's past it to see what's in it. Floor vote on term limits. That's a beautiful one. There are basic principles of a transparent, trustworthy legislature should never have had to be the subject of high-stakes speaker negotiations. And a winning America back, which I didn't get to entirely, but I will t- uh, tomorrow, Dr. Victor Davis Hansen, America's prominent historian, keeps posting historic, insightful, Save America prescriptions and wake up calls. 10 Steps to Save America and The Coup We Never Knew are must-reads up at our website, americacanmetalk.org. 10 Steps are national policy prescriptions. They're not achievable by any single citizen, but key focal points for citizen pressure on elected officials. Cut the debt. Secure the border. Tap natural resources. Stop giving away to China. Well, that was another one that the uh, Republicans got out of Kevin McCarthy. No more giving our precious oil reserves to China. Uh, oppose discrimination. Uh, disrupt and reform higher education. Education, revive the armed for, uh, forces, fix voting, drain the swamp, spend the welf- uh, upend the welfare state, restore norms. The coup we never knew is a stark recap of profound ways America has been subjected to rule and not governed by consent of the government. An awakened, informed, courageous, persistent American electorate can restore America. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so very much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time.
1: Voice
0: voice, like a wave. Can you hear us
1: America Can We Talk.
0: Truth about America. Can